Hey, it's the Trailer Island Podcast. It's another Wednesday and we're talking more films and trailers and things. I'm Alex and I'm joined by Steve and Matthew. Hey, have you, those seagulls, Yeah, have we ever considered them as a source of protein? Oh my God, we are idiots. I tried to build a raft out of them. Did you pluck them or did you... No, why would I do that? Well, I just wanted... You could make like a... a That's cut, insulated like, warmth yeah, right Yeah, well, no, my point is you could actually make some sunshade out of their feathers and then when you're on the raft, you wouldn't get sunburned. Yeah, but those feathers are waterproof. That's do, what's keeping my raft r- off. Remember what happened to Tom Hanks in Castaway? That man was blistered and he was sunburned. He was a very sunburned man. I already am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this... You know what? This really didn't go the way that I was expecting <laughs> this conversation to go. I assume that this... I can say the same same thing about this podcast. I thought this was going to be a, a home improvement podcast. Look where we are now. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not here to build trailers for your car or anything like that. No, we're talking about films mm-hmm. and their trailers. Did the film deliver what the trailer promised? And we are in for a doozy this I'm week. Classic this week. I am classic. so excited about this one. It is. It is quite the classic, and it's a request. It is. Uh, th- yes, we're wonderful requests from from old dad, from um, your father, from my father. Now, how did he get a request to you, Matthew? Are you seeing he... him in hallucinations like I am? It, it, well, that's the thing. Is um, <laughs> I <laughs> that took me far longer than it should have to have got that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, no, I, uh, I had a whole thing planned where I could have got around with that. It doesn't matter. He's asked me to do this because um, this is one of his favourite films of all time. And I think it's widely regarded as being a bit of a sci-fi... Well, it is a sci-fi masterpiece. And it is one of my favourites as well. Mm. Now, on that topic, though, so thank you, Dad, um, for requesting this. I'm so glad... What's your dad's name? Andrew. Andrew. Thank yeah. you, Andrew, for you, sending Andy. in this request. I think he threw a bottle into the ocean, maybe yeah. with a biscuit inside it yeah, too. Yeah, which was lovely. Now, I have to apologise to both of you mm-hmm. because not only is this one of my favourite films of all time, but it's also by one of my own favourite filmmakers and also someone who's a personal hero, Ridley Scott. So if I start waffling on a little bit, you're going to have to stop me. Just just a just okay. a pre-warning. I might okay. get carried away. Okay. I think we, we can work with that. We'll, okay. We'll, I'll throw a conch shell or something please, at you. Ridley please. Ridley Scott yeah. obviously being the less famous brother of Tony Scott. Don't do this to me. <laughs> Ridley Scott is the one filmmaker Here we go. who I—he's he, that one filmmaker who I would like pay anything to have like the opportunity just to sit down for half an hour and just talk and just you know sort of have a chat and everything. Do you um, know Ridley Scott? The listeners out there, does anyone know Ridley Scott? If you do, send him our way. Contact at trailerisland.com.au, and I'll turn the spam filter off for a few hours, and yeah. I'm sure he'll contact us. Please, because it'd be, it'd I, be so for happy. one. It would be so happy to see Matthew speechless. Uh, Do would... you think you could ask him questions if we actually had a conversation with Ridley Scott? I cannot actually express how much I idolise him as a filmmaker because I just love his body of work and his talent. Mm. So no, I think I would probably just freeze up and, and just look like a bit... I'd probably ask him to have my, have my babies probably. It's probably what I would do. <laughs> so you're, um, <clears throat> you're going to ask him about his body? <laughs> See, you're acting, you're giggling like a little schoolgirl right now without even... How how old is Ridley Scott? He must be, he's in his 80s. Um, It's definitely illegal, yeah. (laughs) Point is, is that he's a a really, really good filmmaker and I love his body of work. and, and, And the reason for that is he understands theme and how theme can relate back to character arcs so well and and in such a good way. And then also his visually, his work is just stunning. And this film is a great example of his visual ability, like this film that we're about to talk about, which I realise we haven't 
um, really gone into much Well, yet. this film that we are going to talk about, now I'm going to assume that I've selected the right trailer for this film to actually play. And as we will discuss, there are many iterations of this film, but mm. because you love it so much, Steve, what film are we doing? Robin Hood. <laughs> We're, we are doing Blade Runner. Oh, what? I'm kind of nervous when I take tests. Take tests. I've got four skin jobs walking the street, walking the street. They're either a benefit or a hazard. If they're a benefit, it's not my problem. Not my problem. I'm Rachel. Deckard. Have you ever retired a human by mistake? By mistake, by mistake. No. What if I go north? Disappear. Would you come after me? No, you would. But somebody would. It's too bad she won't live! Die. Will you help us? What seems to be the problem? Death. I want more life. An experiment. Nothing more. Nothing more. More human than human is our motto. So I didn't watch the trailer for this, and I, it leads us into where I think the first point of this discussion is sure. because what version are we watching the trailer for? What what trailer should I be watching? <laughs> I, I, yeah, this is I, like this is obviously a really well known discussion when it comes to Blade Runner. What version was that, Matt? So okay, so it's a bit complex. So this came out in 1982. I just saw Alex just sigh to himself <laughs> as I started. Then, so this this um, so the film originally came out in 1982, and the final cut, which is the version we are talking about, came out I think in 2007, which is actually just a director's cut. So I'll keep this brief for the benefit of our dear listeners, and <laughs> and also I think for my own safety. When this film was made, this was Ridley Scott was powering off the back of Alien, like he's finally made his you know big break and everything. And so he then was then going to adapt Philip K. Dick's book or novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is a very sort of moody, thought-provoking kind of um, book. It's not an action piece or a horror piece or anything like that. And I think even that trailer, that sort of kind of makes it sound like an action movie, which this is not. It's not an action film. Mm. It's a detective sort of mm-hmm. film noir kind of thing, but set in the future. So... Really, Scott was trying to, being the very arty person he is, was trying to make a very thought-provoking film. And Warner Brothers were basically just trying to make it... They wanted another alien film, yeah. is what they wanted. And, I mean, this the production of this film is... Apparently, was a nightmare to be on. They were running over budget and over time a lot of the, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So, basically, the film that came out in 82 was not the version or the vision that Ridley Scott had. It was a very sort of bastardized version of the film. Since then, they've done other director's cuts and anniversary cuts. I think there are about six in total mm-hmm. different versions of this movie. And then finally, in 2007, Ridley Scott recut it. 
he reintroduced material that had been axed and um, axed a, a voiceover that had been there since the original that no no one likes. Even Harrison Ford doesn't like it. And um, and it's he sort of said, this is my version of the film now. This is the one that I want people to remember. And um, personally, if you sort of look over the notes of what's changed, I haven't seen all the cuts. I've seen the original on VHS. I kind of agree with what he's added. It, it, it strengthens, strengthens the theme. Most notably, uh, there's a unicorn dream in this version. Um, we'll get to the story in a moment, but that wasn't in the original one. And it sort of raises this question is of, is Harrison Ford a replicant himself? Is he an android and he just doesn't know it? Because in the original version, that wasn't ever a question. And Harrison Ford himself has for a long time always said, no, he's a human. He's not, not an android. Whereas Ridley Scott always said, no, of course he's an android. Let's like, back it up a little bit. Yeah. Let's back it up. Anyway, we'll back what it, it, we'll, what's we'll the film? Is, what is the film about? So Blade Runner uh, is set Los Angeles 2019. Yeah. Um, so we're sort of in a back to the future kind of mode here. And um, replicants... Um, are sort of a slave labor kind of thing, basically, and they are they can be quite dangerous. They have a built-in four-year lifespan, and some replicants have mutinied off-world outside of planet Earth, and they're basically being hunted down, and they've come back to Earth because, as we discover in the film, they are basically, well, they've sort of formed their own emotions and memories, and they want to prolong their life. Mm. So they're coming back to Earth to find Tyrell, who's the guy who's made these replicants, to basically say, hey, can you fix this? But they're obviously being hunted, and so Harrison Ford plays Deckard, a Blade Runner, who is someone who hunts down replicants. And that's how the film starts, is he gets assigned to having to hunt down these, I think there are four of them? Yes. Four of them, yeah. The leader of which is uh, Roy Batty, played by um, Rutger Heyer. Rutger Hauer. Hauer, who's fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, that, and that's it. It's a, it's a detective uh, film with a lot of philosophy, and a lot of questions about what it is to be human, I would suggest. That's my favorite. This is my favorite subgenre of sci-fi. I love stories about artificial intelligence. I love them. Yeah. That's why I love Westworld. That's why I love uh, Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049. Um, I mean, I even really, really like Bicentennial Man. That really, really... I love that movie. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It, it, I mean, <laughs> it is It is so like childish and, and, and just pretty hammy as well. Oh, it makes me cry though at the but end. It, 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 yeah. It, <laughs> it, give you it, laugh, give you cry. It, yeah. It, it explains these really, really deep notions of, you know, where does artificial intelligence begin and where does it end? Yeah. And, and you know, what, what constitutes a human? I would suggest for us in film, this really started in a big way with 2001, A Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. because according, I forget the actor's name now, but according to him, um, Stanley Kubrick's direction in that was that HAL 9000, the computer in that film, was meant to be more human than the human crew members, Yeah, which is why they're always so deadpan and, and monotone. And this film sort of does a similar thing. I mean, at, at the end of this, spoilers are... This film is came out in eighty two. I don't think we. Which care. um, I can't believe the captain has taken so long to get here. It's ridiculous. <laughs> this is a time tug. Oh, my android fell in the ocean. It's not dead. Uh, maybe something went wrong with his timer today to get here on time. Yes, this is of course a time tug. Yeah. And you thought you'd got away I, with it, Matthew. I, you mentioned it before we started, and I thought, oh, here we go. And then I thought you'd forgotten. And <laughs> oh, I, stick around I never week? forget to time tug. Can I stick around this week? Yeah, of course you can, Captain. Just hang around. Just, just, just sit in the back, okay? Oh, look at the time. Yeah, all right. Just shush. He's in right. a rush. Yeah, he's he's a busy man. He's got a lot of things to do. Anyway, he loves Ridley Scott as well. That, well, maybe he he should actually talk to me. We might have something. We might get along. That'd be nice. Yeah, you and you and the Captain have got something weird yeah, going on. Yeah, well, know. he knows what he did. 
<laughs> anyway, back to yeah, back to Blade Runner. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, uh, towards the end of this film, uh, there's a big showdown between Deckard and Roy Batty because obviously Deckard's there to kill him mm. um, or retire. They swear that you don't kill, retire. You, you retire them. You don't kill replicants. You retire them. And um, as as Roy's Roy Roy Batty's life, if you want to call it that, or his timer is running out. He sort of realizes that instead of instead of killing Deckard, he would just wants to impart some of the memories that he's had in his incredible four year life. And he has that wonderful monologue, which was a, mm. allegedly improvised. Mm-hmm. Because um, again, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole here, but I, was, I saw a documentary about the making of this film, and that last scene <laughs> where they're on the rooftop, the shots of um, Roy Batty, there's this beautiful like neon blue. Light. And you just assume it's coming off a building or a billboard. It's actually daylight because they'd gone so far over schedule. The sun had come up and the executives had turned up and said, that's it, you're done. And so they just improvised that monologue and that was it. That was the film. Wow. And it's one of the most incredible monologues from you know this non-human character who's having this wonderful human experience. And he just wants to impart these memories onto Deckard. Like, he says, um, I've seen things you wouldn't believe. And you know goes on, all those memories will be lost like tears in the rain. It's just such a. It's such. It raises so many questions. This movie. It's so beautiful and so eloquent in in what it throws around. I wrote about that monologue in my honors thesis. Oh, it was to please tell us more. No, that's about it. That's all you need to know. <laughs> it definitely does explain the the uh, the artificial intelligence question uh, very well, and it has mm. and has four very solid. Well, it's, no, actually, I would say probably. Three very solid characters that sort of that touch on no actually four so four I was thinking oh it'd be the four androids but no it's really the the three androids mm. and Deckard they, they they all there's also Rachel oh and Rachel yes. as well yes, yes Rachel Rachel's an important part mm-hmm. of this who very important uh, the actress who is also known as the transvestite in uh, Ace Ventura oh really yeah I didn't know that. I, I've only I've only ever seen uh, Sean Young is her name. I've only ever seen her in in this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's just a small small point. Um, small point. And <laughs> and just on that on that topic, um, Rachel doesn't know she's a replicant. Yeah. So there's this whole thing they do a void comp test, and Deckard comes along to Tyrell because he's been summoned there. Oh no, he's, he wants to learn more about the replicants yeah. that have come back, and um, he tests her and realizes, oh, she's a replicant, but she doesn't know, and so it's this idea of. If she was never told, she's behaving like a human being. She has memory implants. Is is she not as human as everyone, or if not more human than everyone else? And they form a bit of a love interest as well, which obviously brings it causes Deckard to sort of question his own. That's right. Consciousness. And talking of memory implants, I mentioned the unicorn dream earlier, which was not in the original. But the reason that the unicorn dream is so important and so significant is obviously a unicorn doesn't exist in real life. So how can Deckard be having this this memory or this dream of a unicorn if he's never seen one? And it implies that he's got memory implants. And it's sort of this it implies that he's actually not human just through him remembering stuff that he wasn't there for. And he the the second film which came out many, many years after this. It only came out, what, 2018? 2015. Was it 2015? Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway, that film is a lot more blunt, shall we say, as, about, as to whether or not he is or isn't a replicant. This film, even though Ridley Scott has always maintained he is, does invite you to form your own opinion. And I think that's the great thing about this movie is it's very much like you've got all these clues here, but you take away from it what you want and you can mm. think what you want. It's Yeah, it, I never get tired of um, watching this. My dad described this film as listening to your favourite album. It's sort of you just it's it's like a just songs coming along because there are so many different moods and vibes and and scenes and imagery and that it just sort of yeah it sort of just washes over you like a sort of piece of beautiful piece it's of music. It's kind of funny, isn't it? It's a, it's a slow burner. 
it, and that's the thing. This film didn't do well because it was marketed as an action movie. And it, it other than one sort of semi-chase fight scene at the end, there's no action in it. It's, it's all talking and, and investigating and finding clues, that kind of stuff. I always want to go to the little Asian grocer guy that he goes to for his food. Oh, the, the, with the noodles. Yeah. <laughs> I like, there's something so like comforting about being amongst so many people in, in, in such a huge city, but a small space that you can go and find refuge. Which is mm. oddly, and, I think, the, the, the opposite point the film is trying to make, that, that you know, Deckard obviously doesn't feel like a part of a group here. He feels like really isolated, d- despite all these people. He feels like he's, he's alone. Well, mm. I didn't realise this, because I've watched this growing up, this film, so I didn't pick up on this until... You know, I was an adult, but he's actually an alcoholic. Yeah, like he's whenever he's alone, he's drinking whiskey, yeah. <laughs> and he he doesn't stop either. Um, so he's definitely he definitely feels like an outsider. I think he knows that there's. I mean, I'm only speaking to my own opinion on whether or not he is human or not, but he definitely feels like there's something different about him. Mm. Perhaps I arrived to the Blade Runner party very late because I, I was I was very uh, very interested in um, Danny Villanova's, um Villeneuve. Villeneuve. You always correct me on his name. And now yeah. you've got it no, no. I, I, I've, <laughs> wait, I've always fluked his name. Always fluked um, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, his, his uh, Blade Runner 2049. I was very interested in that. And I'd yep. never seen Blade Runner up until then. And so I sat down and I watched the film and I was like, okay, I understand why this is a classic. It's not really, it's not pressing my buttons. Okay, yeah. Uh, and then I watched uh, 2049. And 2049 blew me away. Okay. Yeah. Blew me away. I was uh, like, I've gone back and I've rewatched that uh, like a half a dozen times now. But um, immediately after I watched, like, I sat down and watched this again. And I'm like, after I was done with that, I was like, I need twenty forty nine. Like this. Okay. And I, I can tell you why. It's I think twenty forty nine might be the better film. Or oh, I personally would disagree. I know. But, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, well, twenty forty nine to me for on a personal journey is I haven't seen that at, right. yet. So between the two of you and myself, I haven't seen it, so I can't give you that opinion. But I have an interesting sort of feeling about the original Blade Runner in that I feel like it's a film that I've always known, mm-hmm. like Sunday cartoons or whatever. Yeah, like Blade yeah. Runner has always been something that I've had on my palette as a film that I know exists and have seen numerous times. Because for me, you know, like Matthew, you talk about it being a favorite film of your father's, mm. same with me, in that this was a film that my dad, as one of his favorites, said, You've got to watch this film, and it's a film that I've we had had on tape, you know, had on VHS, or if it was ever on TV, we would be watching it. And I, it, it's weird, like it's a film that you know, perhaps not until I got older, I actually consumed as a single piece of media. Oh, I get, you know, I get what you're saying now. You know, yeah. you feel like I'd seen the film in its entirety. I have that entirety, with, um, perhaps over ten years yeah. in bits and pieces. I have that with you know? Empire Strikes Back. For right. me, Empire Strikes Back was always quite like I remember most, like you know him going into the cave on Dagobah, and then obviously the big reveal at the yeah, end. Yeah, and it was yeah. it was ages. I think it was until it was on DVD. I thought oh, I can actually watch this as a whole movie now. And, it, and and sort of the sensation that I had with this was watching it, where I felt like I could cognitively understand the film, is that I had seen everything in yeah. this film before, but finally all of those pieces were being put together. But you know, I felt like I well, I knew that I knew everything that happened in the film. But it's kind of a film that ages on you and you sort of become more capable of understanding or you're able to look at it from a different angle and appreciate the different values that it brings out in questioning, you know, 
the character's reality, but then your own reality <laughs> as well. No, absolutely. I, I do feel the sort of the same way in a different aspect. I feel like in terms of cinema, this is a very like, what's the, what's the study of like humans and human beings? Anthropological. Anthropology. Anthropological. Anthropological in the sense of cinema. Like mm. you can sit down and you watch all these modern sci-fi films and you, you know, oh yeah, this is a, this is a trope. This is a, this is a gimmick. But then, you know, you sit down when you're, you know, 25 and you watch Blade Runner and you start to fill in all these missing links between you know mm. Blade Blade Runner and then this film, and then another film, yeah, and you eventually get down to what was Blade Runner's influence in anime, and you can actually see that sort of spread out there. Yeah, and I I get what you mean. It's it's funny actually because you sort of think about when it comes to science fiction and sort of that era, you've really got George Lucas doing Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Then the one after oh sorry no it starts with Close Encounters doesn't it really Steven Spielberg, mm. um, which is a great movie. Then you go to Star Wars, which sort of suddenly you've got a used future kind of idea. Yeah. Then Rudy Scott takes that in Alien, just makes them all truck drivers mm. and goes even further. But then with this one, it was just so... I, I mean, I know, I'm sure it's been done before this, but not so well. Like the style and the kind of griminess and sort of post-future, but everything is... Like, you know, all the buildings are really old in this and they've all got like water damage because it's always raining in Los Angeles in this movie. And none of the buildings look futuristic. Yeah. They're, they're old buildings by the standards of 1982. Mm-hmm. And and it's just like people just holding on to survive. That kind of thing is... I don't know. You can see how that can then, that went on into other movies, that kind of sort of do style. You, do you talk... Thinking about these films that are... They are classics, right? Yeah. There is always the fear that people are saying, you've got to watch this film. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I really, you know, for me watching Blade Runner, you know, there are some times that I want to watch it and other times I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> mm, yeah. You know, it's one of those films you really got to be in tune to, well, I mean, you don't have to be, it, but it, does, does yeah. it help to be in tune with what you want to watch at the time? I guess that goes for any film, but, you know, there, there's the classics, you know. Yeah, I would suggest for this film, I because I do adore it so much, I can find I can just sit down and watch it anytime. But like Lawrence of Arabia, Amazing movie, but mm. I have to be in a mood to watch it because mm. it is a commitment to sit through that film. But the biggest issue is because this film is such a classic and, a, and is considered such a high level of science fiction, so people like yourself, Steve, who were late to the party, you do have that. I'm sure you had that in the back of your mind that people go, This is an incredible movie. This the is hype so hurdle. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. then it's sort of like, Does it live up the to the hype? Hype hurdle. I've never heard that before. That's, I like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm. I'm, I am surprised that you think 2049 is the better movie. It's an incredible film. Don't get, me, don't get me wrong. And Roger Deakins, the cinematographer, did a great job of shooting that movie. For me, I don't know if it's just because I grew up with Blade mm-hmm. Runner. But there's something about the world that just feels more real in the first one than it does in the sequel. The hype hurdle has always been real with Blade Runner up until 2015 for me. Yeah. But my interest in Denny Villeneuve... Denny Villeneuve. Did you add an extra syllable? Oh, my gosh. My my interest in that that film outweighed that hurdle. I was like, I, I, I just need to see this film. I'll get it out of the way with. That'll be two hours. It's it's no stress. No it's stress. About, it's not a long movie. I think it's about 100 yeah. minutes. Yeah. It's all right. And then number number two is about three hours, yeah. I think. I was just going to ask you, should I watch that after this? Yes. And that sounds you should. like yes. I'm not going to have time to sleep. It's a good movie. If I got to start so a three-hour film. Mm. Man. Ryan Gosling is, is phenomenal. Yeah. But I mean, Harrison Ford, though. Oh. 
Yeah. Just so it's so good Harrison to see him back. Ford, in my opinion, has a real issue with phoning it in sometimes. Yeah. He doesn't do it in this film or in the sequel. Because cause I've seen a lot of films with Harrison Ford where you're like, you do not care about this movie that you are in. But I feel like the original Blade Runner, you can tell that he's enjoying being there. And that's why, that's an interesting point, actually. That's why the voiceover doesn't work because the voiceover was an afterthought by the studio because they were worried the film didn't make much sense, which it does. It actually makes perfect sense. So he wasn't happy about having to record it. So when you listen to him, it's, he's really deadpan and just doesn't <laughs> care. And uh, on that same documentary I watched about the making of this film, there are some outtakes of him doing that voiceover. And it's stuff of him just like, he'll be halfway through a, a sentence and goes, oh, this is so weird. Like, why are we doing this? Like, he could, did not want to do it. He did yeah. not want to do that voiceover. Does, did he enjoy 2049 by the looks of it? I think he looks... I, I would say so. Yeah. I, I think yeah. he was glad to be back. I wanted more of him, to be honest. He I wanted, had, He's only a small part. Yeah. Right. Okay. But okay. when he's on screen, he's he's terrific. Okay. You can always yeah. tell when Harrison Ford is enjoying a movie because if he lands on the ground, he'll be really awkward about it. Like uh, in this film, he, he lands on the ground on the roof there and his feet are going everywhere and he just looks like he's sort of like trying to hold on to a bar that's not there. And the same goes in like Indiana Jones. He's like on the ground there and he's trying to like hold on to stuff that's not there. And so I've worked it out. Okay, please <laughs> e- please explain. Yeah. That yeah. made no sense to me. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Uh, rather than Steve explaining things, I'm going to give my please interpretation do. of what. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. So what you're saying is that if Harrison Ford enjoys a film that he's in, he's more willing to put his body on the line, yeah. which is visible on screen yes. with the stunts that he does yes. personally, that he obviously does them and cares about yeah. them enough to get actively physically yeah. engaged yeah. in the acting. Yeah. If if his feet look weird on screen, he's having a good time. <laughs> if his feet look weird. Think about like the fugitive. Move, moving around and <sighs> think about the fugitive. Like he's he's like he falls on the ground I a couple think, of times there. I think, and he's like, I, think I think you've developed a really solid theory there. <sighs> I mean, I the other, you don't uh, seem convinced. But. Well, the, the only mannerism I've ever picked up from Harrison Ford is the Harrison Ford point. He always points in his movie. He does a lot of, lot of yeah. angry pointing, especially in Star Wars and in the Indiana Jones. And Air Force One is, if you want to see some angry Harrison Ford pointing, watch Air Force One. Does he fall on the ground awkwardly? I think he does. He enjoyed that He film. must have enjoyed, enjoyed that, that movie. movie. I don't think he does in The Force Awakens. No, he didn't fall on the ground then, and he didn't no. look awkward either. So, mm. well, well, they, did, think, they right? did drop the door on him, though, didn't they, during the making of that? The, Har- the Millennium Falcon door fell on him, apparently, didn't did it? it? Yeah, oh, wow. So he, he was... crashed his plane and the door <laughs> fell on him. <laughs> anyway, back to Blade Runner. Um before we, you know, I don't want to introduce too many theories and stuff and things like that about this film because I feel like we're going to keep our audience far too long than, than they already need to be. What do you mean? I'm just getting started. I mean. um, but there is the theory of the Ridley Scott universe about how this film yeah. connects with another franchise. That's right. Is it a theory if it's sort of been confirmed though? Well, it's confirmed by him. Yeah. But I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Ridley Scott is God, so it must be true. <laughs> well, um, go on, speak child. Okay, well, it is actually confirmed on the Prometheus Blu-ray special feature, so I guess it is actually accurate. But the idea is that uh, this universe, the Blade Runner universe, and then the Alien universe are, the, are shared. They're the same universe mm, because right. there are references to Tyrell in the expanded material for Prometheus. And in this film, a lot of the graphics in the computers, they probably only did it for budgetary reasons, but they're actually shots taken from Alien yeah. from the Nostromo, especially of the purge sign and then the little circular thing going further away. That's straight out of Alien. Like 
it's not even a new shot. They've just taken the film and put it into Blade Runner. But it's this idea now that there's this, this cross-connect of technology and companies and that kind of Which thing. Which is strengthened only by the fact that Covenant and Prometheus focus really heavily on, on David's artificial intelligence that's, as well. That's right. And there's a theory that in um, Blade Runner 2049, you know when they go to Wallace's headquarters, mm-hmm. that you've got the models of clay models of humans yeah. that they're actually just... Because they're big. They look like engineers from Prometheus. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I don't like know. that. I like that. I well, it's like it's like the only way the reason that the whole alien versus predator thing exists is because in one of the alien films, no Pred- predator two, one of the predator films. Sorry, yeah. there's an alien skull as an Easter egg, and then they were like, yeah. you know what? Let's join those universes. Here we go. That was a terrible, terrible decision. So anyway, anyway, but yeah, there's this theory that they are a shared unit, which it kind of works. It does. I mean, Blade Runner set. 2019 mm-hmm. and aliens not set until was it 21 no 20 oh like two centuries in the future it's two cent- it's, it's a long way away yeah. yeah so peter wayland would not be alive during the time of- i mean really the the universe is being connected is purely is inconsequential yeah, to, to the is. films it, well it's no, nice oh, to yeah. it's nice to think that harrison ford was kicking around in the alien universe though yeah that's pretty cool yeah well can i ask you both a question no uh because you're you, you grew up with it uh, and specifically about the final cut, is there anything you don't like about it? It's a good question, actually. I'll tell you that there's one thing that I don't like about this film, and it's such a small thing, but at the end, they're on the top of this building, and it's raining. And there's one shot where a character comes out of the rain to talk to another character, and you can tell that the rain tower they were using stops, because he's in the rain, in the rain, and suddenly he's dry, and you can tell. <laughs> and that's And they've done that, I'm assuming, because they just... Like, like again, it was a nightmare to make this movie, so I'm amazed it looks as good as it does, to be honest, because this film is holds up today. If you watch this on Blu-ray, some of the shots, especially interior shots, are so stunningly shot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that annoys me, that the rain doesn't come the whole way. Maybe there's across. a ledge above them. And th- yeah, there are lots of tall buildings. That, that could be it, yeah. Fun fact, um, at the end, uh, Rutger... Wait, wait, wait. Is this going to be a fun fact? It, it, this is a fun fact, I promise you. So Roy Batty, at the end, jumps from one building to another. And they were gonna, then they obviously built the tops of these buildings on a soundstage. And they were going to just get a stunt guy to do it, but they were running out of time. So Rutger... I can't say his name. Rutger Hauer? Rutger Hauer. Hauer. Said to Ridley Scott, if you can move them slightly closer together, I'll do it. And and Ridley was like, oh, yeah, cool. So they move, physically moved the set closer together. And that shot of him jumping and running, sorry, running and jumping across the building is actually him. And it's the one and only take they did of that stunt. And it's actually him that does it. There you what? go. Fun facts. Why did he get down to his underpants for that chase? That I can't tell you. <laughs> I, I How's he in his underwear? He, he does a very weird, quick costume change yeah. for no reason. Whatsoever. Maybe because you know he's sort of ending, getting closer to his. He knows his, he's, like, yeah. he's reaching thermal max or something like that. He could be Maybe. heating up and needs to cool yeah. down. And I don't, I don't understand. It was Rutger Hauer's idea to hold the dove, but I'm not sure what the dove is meant. Well, obviously, he lets it go when he dies. I don't know if that's meant to be him, like his soul. Because he's clearly got a soul, which is you know replicants aren't meant to have. Maybe it's meant to be a metaphor. Well, that's, you know, that's obviously yeah. It's supposed to be symbolism. But yeah, yeah there's, like, there's probably very but where uh, he like gets heavy. The, yeah, but where he gets the dove from, I don't know. He maybe. might have been carrying it the entire time. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe he's it's got like a whole a, movie. He could have a little hatch, couldn't he? He's a rep. He's a robot, yeah. so his chest could open up. And he's got a little. Yeah. Dove I mean, on it's there. a very you know. It happens at funerals. It's yeah, yeah, all those sort of things. When but he goes to see Tyrell, he, there's a shot there where he. Purposely puts his hand in, in, in like in a in a in a pocket on his coat, 
and I'm guessing that's where the dove was. Yeah. Was the dove real? It's definitely real. It's, so it's a real because remember they talk. Oh, about... Oh, you mean is it? Oh, you mean? Oh no, because most animals aren't real. I see that's your point. That's right. Sorry. In, in the context of the film, did I thought he ma- you meant did he imagine it? <laughs> no, did he manage to get a hold of a flesh and blood? Maybe he did. Pigeon. Uh, what is it? A dove. A dove. Yeah. Or is it just a robot dove? I I don't know. I, I realize you know we we do have to wrap up because otherwise I won't stop. But we can't not mention Van Gelis's score, mm. which is sensational. It's such a. It only it could only work for that movie. I find that score is so fantastic. I don't want you to escape this as well, Alex. I would like you to to tell me one thing you didn't like about. <laughs> um, I feel like sorry, Van Gelis. That. That's all we're going to mention you, about you. I felt like you dodged that question really well. Um, I think I just forgot about your question, and that might have led yeah. to. And also, Matt went on a on a he diatribe on, yeah. about things. So yeah, sorry guys. By that stage, I just completely forgot. I know. I pyramids with those tangents. I don't know. I think it's it's really hard to... And that's what's going to be really difficult about giving this a rating as well because when it's a film that you feel like you've known forever, it's kind of hard to go... You know, it's just... It's like a relative that you've got. You know, how do you criticise a relative? I mean, I know we all can. <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, you're like, well, it's you know, it's part of the family. I love it. You know, there's it's not my choice. I don't know that I can actively criticise... Something about it. What I do not like, though, is the trailer for this version is just haphazard, thrown together bunch of shots from the film. Yeah, the tra- and we, lines. trailer is that trailer is actually shocking. If it's you terrible. if if you were trying to get into Blade Runner and like, oh, watch the trailer for this, you'd be like, I have no idea what this means. <laughs> there's a dude and he has blades and like there yeah, are it does some running. There's you know, is this a skating movie? <laughs> what does Blade Runner mean? I I don't yeah. actually know because I, I have read the book and. I read the book probably about four years ago now, and <laughs> there are probably people yelling at their phones. Probably or are, going, Don't you know this on the page? I, I'm sure it means something, and I'm, it might actually be in the book. I just can't remember off the top of my head why they're called Blade Runners. I can't remember now. I apologise, everyone. That's it's fine. cool, yeah. that's for sure. It's definitely a very cool. Yeah, it it's is a sexy can, name. You can tell why they, you know, they didn't call the film "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" They called it Blade Runner. It's a much better yeah. film title. And I remember being as a kid, like I'm pretty sure you see boobies. You definitely do. Definitely do. Yeah. If that's if that's how you want to end this discussion, one of the greatest films of our well, not our generation, but just of all time, shall we say? Yeah, there are there is some nudity. The guy that plays Tyrell is the bartender in The Shining. He is. That's right. Oh, yeah. I like you, Lloyd. Mm-hmm. And he's still alive. He's like, oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, wow. Watch this movie. If you haven't seen, if you somehow survived. Without this movie in your life, firstly, well done. I don't know how you've managed that. But now go and see it and don't do anything else. Just watch this film. If you're like me and you really want to watch Blade Runner 2049, watch this film because you're going to need the context. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They do follow on pretty directly. <laughs> All right. Out of five watts, what are we? What are we? Uh... Watts? Yeah. Well, there's that. Unicorns? Yeah, Unicorns? Doves? Uh, Jack Daniels bottles, Rucker tears Howard. in the rain. Oh, tears in the rain. Rucker Howard's thong. <laughs> he doesn't wear one. And of those. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. The hidden chest pigeon. Weren't you alluding to that before? <laughs> uh, oh uh, no, octagon glasses like Tyrell. They're massive and oh, he's magnifying. Uh, yes, very eight sided. Yes, yes. We've ruined it. <laughs> Yeah, you, know, I, you know what I like about these sci-fi films? It doesn't have a super young cast. Yeah. Is yes. it there, it's not like, a youth adult film. No, it's like, you know, people who, you know, of our age sort of look up, you know, 
people yeah. a bit older than us and sort of comes with a sense of authority and realism as well that it's actually like just people trying to go about their day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just like, oh, I have to do Harris, this Harrison Ford just wants his noodles at the beginning of this movie mm. before he gets the job. He just wants to eat. Shoulder I can, pads. I can relate to that. You know what? I've really got a thing for shoulder pads. <laughs> like in women's fashion, when you look at women's yeah. fashion and like big shoulder, 80s shoulder pads. Out of shoulder pads, I think it is. It do- really does it for me. Really, Scott, if you're listening, I still love you. Please don't hate us. <laughs> Can you wear shoulder pads next week? <laughs> I love it when my humans look boxy. <laughs> oh, is that a metaphor because she's a replicant? I think though, I, yeah. I, I, look, I, it probably was just a symptom of the of the eighties. But like, I was watching, it, I was going, she looks boxy because they want to allude to the robot. Yeah, but it's just um, the fashion of the time. It's just the fashion <laughs> of the time. Out. I've nothing. Look. If you're not going to take this seriously, I, I want to see you in a see-through raincoat. Uh, if I had the materials to do it on this island, I I would. You know why I would. Right. Out of five, what are we doing? Octagonal glasses? <laughs> yeah, Is let's, that what let's, it was? let's do that. Let's okay. Do that. Shoulder pads. <laughs> Matthew. Uh, no, you can go last, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm going to go against the grain here. I'm not a massive fan of this particular soundtrack. Oh, what, rap. Okay. Wow. Okay. I also... Oh, I, also think it sort of speaks to the larger point about the film uh, and and that is because it's been spoiled by me like uh, for me sorry because I've I've seen Blade Runner 2049 and I think that is the superior film that's the superior film the superior acting the, the superior score uh the superior cinematography and uh, I, yeah I, I I definitely sat down watched it and was like you know what I definitely need 2049 now I need Ryan Gosling I need Robin Wright Pan I need Dave Batista as Sapper he was fantastic uh, and I need all of that so uh four just because there I think there's something better on the horizon it's um, amazing really that yeah. every word you just said was wrong <laughs> but you know that's okay oh it's my turn now isn't it yeah go on <laughs> <laughs> All eyes are on you, Alex. You know, I agree with some of Steve's. Po- Actually, uh, I don't. I don't know what I think. I honestly, this is one of the first films where I genuinely just feel like my rating is just mush. It isn't a star system. It's just like uh, it's just whatever. I don't know. It's like rating your lungs' capacity for oxygen. It just doesn't. Uh, see, and I know Matthew's going to give it a five, and I feel like for it to for me to give it a five, I need to be on the level that Matthew is. <laughs> you you understand what I mean yeah. by that? Yeah, yeah, no. You can you can form your own opinion, Alex. That's okay. I know I can, <laughs> and I will, but I don't think I've got a huge opinion to give on this film. So, out of five, would you say that this is a piece of furniture? I yeah I I know exactly what you're saying by that too like yeah. it's just something that's existed in in my in my existence I don't know this is really hard for me to give a rating I'm gonna be sick um but <laughs> sorry I'll close my eyes I'll, I'll look away so what what if I split the middle with a rating that doesn't mean anything at all and say four and a half that's cheap oh, all right <laughs> <laughs> whatever that's a really good that's a really good yeah rating. no that's good that's ninety percent isn't it yeah yeah are you done. Jesus Christ! <laughs> sure, you know uh, how much recording space have we got left on this on this device? You, you okay? Speak, no, sorry. Matthew. Did you have anything else you wanted to say, Alex? Nah. You, you sure? Yep. Yes, you sure. All right. Well, I would like to take the moment then, the uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen uh, who are listening. Alex is going to monologue again. Um, is, to apologise to my colleagues. You know, we're all human. Not, we're not all perfect. Five dollars sends. It, Speak says for it. yourself, man. <laughs> Five dollars says he ends this by saying tears and rain. I wasn't. No, I was. No, I was going to avoid that. I already did that earlier. Um, no, I'll keep this short because um, it's obviously um, it's a hundred from me. 
um, <laughs> for this. No, it's a five. Um, it's one of my favorite films of all time, and from one of the, in my opinion, one of the best filmmakers that we've had grace our cinema screens. And this film just is just incredible. Like, I, it's a piece of art. This film is just a piece of moving art. Uh, so yeah, five from me. You did keep that short. Yeah, yeah, I can that actually. Was phenomenally short. I have self control. Mind you, you've spoken for about eighty percent of this episode, which is, you know, what I have quite enjoyed sit, be, sitting back and just listen to Matthew talk about this. Oh, thank you. If anyone would like to continue this discussion, you can contact me at. <laughs> okay, so let's just bring up the music there. Uh, we have been the Trail Album Podcast, and this week we talked about. Blade Runner, the final cut, mm. which was a request from... Andy, my dad. Yeah, good on you, Andrew. So thank you very much for sending us in the request. Now, of course, he did that via contacting his son directly, but you can also contact us via the Facebook page. Send us a message there if you'd like to send us a request. There is an email, contact at trailerarm.com.au. You can check out our Instagram and our Twitter, and you can find us every Wednesday. Well, you can find us anytime you want, really. Yeah, we got a nice... S- catalogue haven't we now we've yeah. got we are building quite the catalogue yeah. and you can find us on any uh, any sort of streaming service that you prefer we're even on Spotify Deezer Apple Google the whole shebang I just like that if my father could contact me directly as well <laughs> I miss you <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, help I'm, me daddy I don't know what to do now yeah uh Good music, though, At isn't it? Islandtrailer.com. Emails at the post office. Uh, yep, send us a yep. pigeon. Uh, or, a, or a dove, even. Or a dove. Yeah. Yep. You can send mail as far, the, uh, as, far as you'd like. Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, I think, yeah. oh, no. All right, then. All right. So, so yeah, thanks. To, again, if anyone wants to have a good, like, three-hour discussion about Blade Runner, let me know. Yeah. Uh, we've been through our podcast. I've been Alex. I've been joined by... Rutger Hauer. And Harrison Ford. Good night. This is a Narrative Network podcast.